to the end of our nightmares and the beginning of a new future. May the banquet last forever. And to equality and caring for each other. Hey, can we have some fun as well? <laughs> okay, okay. To equality, caring for each other, and fun. <laughs> and I drink to inner peace and my new bodyguard. <laughs> and to computer boffins rolling the world. <laughs> Together with their handyman. To families, our Morad family. And here's to little guys being taken as much notice of as big guys. Oh, sorry, what did you say? <laughs> I got um, one more thing though. To peace. And more rats. More rats! Welcome to Series 2, Episode 5 of Conversation Eagle Mountain, a podcast about the tribe. I'm your host, Lance, and joining me on the podcast panel today is Liz. Hello. Sabine. Hi. And Maggie. Hi. With episode notes done by Matt and myself. So Series 2, Episode 5, the screenplay was done by Carrie Rose. It was directed by John Reed. And the episode synopsis was read out by Liz. Seeking revenge after Casey's fake antidote fails to make Ellie better, Alice takes Tysan hostage at the farm. Lex and Ebony lead a rescue party, but Danny is suspicious of their motives, and a protective Ryan resents Spike's presence in the mall. Okay, panel, loads to talk about, so let's jump in. So, following on from the previous episode, Alice, who's already beaten up Spike, attacks Lex and forces him to take her to Tysan's lab for the antidote. Tysan gives her some freely, but he's then taken hostage as insurance should it not be the genuine article. So, yeah, panel, what did you generally make of the dramatic opening to this episode, especially Alice's infiltration of the mall and the interaction with Lex and Tysan? This is a smart way to build up your character. You know, they want us to know how tough Alice is, how no-nonsense she is. So they've set up this situation where nobody should be able to come through. We've got, you know, the Spike and his goons are here for extra protection. Our heroes have been afraid of these kind of people for an entire season. So it must be a big deal if they're here protecting us now. And Alice literally just takes them down like bowling pins. No one even <laughs> hears it happening. That is how you set up a character like Alice, you know, like yeah. she's someone you need to be afraid of. It's the way they set up Ebony, you know, in season one. Like, oh my goodness, this is the person I should be paying attention to. <laughs> I definitely think that uh, it sets, you know, the scene for how things are in the mall right now. They're relaxed, even though they shouldn't be because they feel like they're uh, necessarily untouchable, you know. But uh, Alice shows them that that's not the case and that everything isn't what it seems you know and um <clears throat> i think it's just nice to have her finally show us who she is as a character and that's just it we instantly see what alice is all about because she isn't going to take any crap from anyone she's just there she's going to do what she needs to do to make sure her sister gets out alive and she doesn't care how she has to do it just as long as she gets the job done I have to say, it's nice to see Lex being kicked down once again by a stronger female. I agree on the uh, the thing he said with Ebony, there, Liz, because, yeah, she's just as fierce. Mm -hmm. It's almost like Ebony finally has a challenger worthy yes. of her salt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Ebony and Amber, awesome. It was really great dynamic there until it became about a boy. 
Um, you could say the mm-hmm. same thing about Ebony and Danny have a pretty cool dynamic until it becomes about a boy. Uh, but Ebony and Alice is, it was, ne- it's never about a boy. <laughs> that is right. never the issue between those two. They are just diametrically opposed and both just as fierce and they're both willing to do whatever it takes. For example, Amber wouldn't have thrown a punch at Ebony. You know what I mean? Uh, even Danny probably couldn't take uh, <laughs> Ebony in a no. physical fight. Um, but Alice is the one other female who's looking, sizing Ebony up and is like, oh yeah, I'll do the same to you. Mm -hmm. Try it, try it. You know, and Ebony's like, how am I going to scale that mountain? (laughs) I can just see Alice picking up Ebony and just throwing her somewhere. Yeah. Um, I also like, uh, the small seeds that are planted. I mean, they, they could be seeds. They might not be. But I I think they are because of how season two has been written and how they know exactly where they're going. And so they're leaving breadcrumbs for every story before it even mm-hmm. gets started. Um, so just like, okay, we already have Lex. He's afraid of Alice. He immediately gives into whatever she wants. But mm-hmm. he, is it just me or is he showing genuine concern for Tyson? And more is. than the fact that he, he has the antidote, you know? Um, he's really seems bothered by the fact that Tyson's the one that was taken and not just yeah. because she knows the formula, you know, um, I, 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 I just, it's little hints, just little sense of vulnerability coming out of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know, but that yeah. could just be me. <laughs> and, and, and it also could just be that he feels guilty, you know, that it's his fault that she's been taken because he's the one that took her to, to, you know, Alice to her or whatever. And, and I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Suddenly it's like, yeah, that's why this girl doesn't want me. I'm useless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think you're onto something though, Liz, because it does feel like Lex is more concerned about Tyson than just the antidote and everything. It's like, he always liked her, but it feels like there's more to it. So I just, I like those. I like those little things. Um, I think it's just a really great setup for what's going to come next and of course, Alice is a powerhouse and she steals the scene. And mm-hmm. I know I, I know at this point in time, I'm supposed to feel like she's an intruder and she's taking our Tysan, <laughs> but I just want her to win. I'm like, that's right. right. Take her. Yeah. Right. You, you earned this, Alice. You go. Yeah, they, you did absolutely. your sister. That's right. <laughs> uh, it's nice also to have a character who doesn't just talk about having a noble cause or she reasons for doing something. Alice walks the walk. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. You know, it's like, oh, you, sh- you you guys gave my sister some fake poison. I'll burn your mall down. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I believe it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Smoke them out, girl. <laughs> you got yep. to. Oh, if we could all have a sister like Alice. <laughs> uh, if only. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I kind of. I take this episode with Alice and it just reminds me of the time Ebony got caught in a cage. And I just remember thinking, this is a great introduction to a character. I have immediate respect for this person and what they're going to bring to the story. <laughs> did, did you like how um, kind of generally smart Alice is? Like how she took Tyson as, as insurance and how she just generally doesn't allow herself to be tricked kind of twice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It was really refreshing to finally see a character have a little bit of common sense. And who learns? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. It's like, oh, last time I took you guys at your word, you lied to me. And my sister has been getting sicker. I'm not taking you at your word. I'm going to test you, what you're saying. You know, I like that. I'm like, oh, a character who actually learns from her past mistake or misstep? Yay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And she has such a lovely practical way of going about it. 
So, okay, this is the person that's making your antidote? Fine, I'm taking her with me, you know? You know what I really love about Alice is that she can make these awful threats, but I never get the feeling that Alice is a mean person. No. No. Like, every threat is just out of necessity. It's not from nastiness. She's not a sadist. She doesn't want to hurt anybody. It's just more like, I'll do it. I just want you to know if I have to, I'll do it. I don't, you know, I won't hesitate. Yeah. But just don't make me do it. We'll be cool. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I want to put the sledgehammer now. All those tiny little comments he makes with Tyson saying, it would be foolish to hurt me. And Alice just going, maybe, but it might be fun. (laughs) He's just awesome. We better move on or we're just going to keep talking about how much we love Alice. Yeah. Sorry, I was trying to drag it out because, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I can't gush enough how much I love Alice. I love mm-hmm. her presence. I love everything she brings to the show. I just absolutely adore mm-hmm. her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do hate some of the later things that happen, but she's she's amazing. She's yeah, fantastic. Things that happen to Alice, they make you great. I agree with you. They may kind of suck, but she's never the problem. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's always things that are done to her and yeah. it's cause and effect, you know? Mm-hmm. But Vanessa Stacy is a gold star. Yes. Yep. Fantastic. Yep. Fabulous. Look, I told Alice about this new stuff. Better not be another con. Oh, it's not. So hand it over. First, you let go of Lex. Now give. For your little sister. Without blessings. Okay, from gold star to F minus, let's talk about Kai <laughs> <Hi>, San again. <laughs> Ooh, that was brutal. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Ouch. I felt that in my soul. Wow. <laughs> I mean, okay, so this is something I was going to mention last week, but we see it again in this episode. It's. it's Tyson and her laboratory. We need to talk about it. <laughs> it's magic. <laughs> she saw in her crystal ball how to put it together. Yes. This is the thing. So you remember from the previous episodes, she explicitly instructed Jack and Dow on specific equipment that she needed in order to set up this, this lab. Mm-hmm. And she mm-hmm. set up the lab herself. They only got the equipment. And then what this now means is that she has her own private working lab where she somehow diffuses ingredients and develops the key components of the antidote all by herself. Come on. This is (laughs) nothing at all like her herbal law that she's shown so far. Um, Come on. Does this not lend more weight to the techno is a tight hand spy theory? No, I will never agree to that theory. It does. Come on. It doesn't. Okay. Because you guys keep forcing me to have to stand up for this crazy girl. (laughs) There is such a thing as natural distillation. And that's what she's doing. It's like making a distillery. You know, even a person who doesn't know how to make beer could figure out how to make a distillery. They could do it. You know what I mean? It doesn't take much. You wouldn't have to read much to figure out. Just it's like it's. What she's doing is the basics of getting drinkable water out of like salt water. You know what I mean? What she's doing. It's just adding heat to your material to get certain tails out. That's all she's basically doing. I know it looks super complicated, but she's just (laughs) brewing beer in that room. (laughs) And hippies know how to make that stuff. Okay. They do. I mean, even if we were to believe that making (laughs) it is that easy it's just 
diffusing it and distilling it. Like her knowledge just does not match what she's shown so far with her herbalist lore. It, 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 it's there's something wrong. Something's off there. Actually, you know what? I just thought of. Okay, I was just thinking. All right, you know how we are, our complaint about we don't we all don't agree they did a great job with the execution of this antidote storyline. No. Mm-hmm. But I was wondering, I was thinking about the messiness of it, of suddenly everybody needs second doses and how Tyson mm-hmm. is making, has this really simple setup to make the antidote. Again, I get it. I get where they're pulling the lore from. Yes, a lot of medicines came from natural elements in the earth, blah, blah, blah. But I was wondering, I was like, maybe, well, maybe I'm giving the writers way too much credit. <laughs> but <laughs> maybe this was purposeful. Maybe the point they were trying to make now Lex has the stuff from Hope Island, and it took a while to heal him. He took like two doses, maybe three doses, and then it took him weeks to get better after that. And then everybody else in the mall has the dose. They get the antidote from the government building. Lex is the only one who didn't get that one, right? Everybody else got it. And I was wondering, maybe. Now, they all just assume that Lex needed another dose because remember he hadn't taken the stuff from the government building and he thought he was getting sick again because the only stuff he'd taken was from Hope Island. But you'll notice nobody else in the mall ever gets the virus. No one else ever shows signs of having it despite being surrounded by sick kids all the time. What if Ty Sam's version is a weakened version of the original antidote that was in that government building. Anybody who got a dose of that was probably fine. But anybody who didn't, it did take several doses for it to work. Kind of like the experimental stuff on Hope Island. Because Mm -hmm. wouldn't it be weaker since she's making it literally out of like her backyard science kit? I mean, that makes sense. It just hit me. I was like, maybe Mm -hmm. it was on purpose. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe it makes sense in some writer's mind. <laughs> Sorry, everyone's like, yeah, okay, Liz. <laughs> Stop trying. Stop it. <laughs> no, it's just bad writing. It's the whole set. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the formula being these only three easy to find ingredients that, like, like you mentioned, in, conveniently in the backyard, easy to find. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just bad writing all around. <laughs> Yeah, I don't believe my own theory either. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm sticking with mine about the technos. <laughs> you guys will never convince me in that one. <laughs> You'll never convince me that one. I mean, let's latch on to that uh, bit you mentioned. How does she know that you need another dose in a week? That's very, very specific. I don't. Th- I, think they, I think they kind of just guessed at that. I honestly don't think the week... Th- I think it was arbitrary. I think these guys just were like, if people need another dose, they kind of just came up with their own headspace of what would yeah. be the most convenient or the, the time frame that would make the most sense to them. And it also, that yeah. could also be the writers being like, we need to have a continuing stream of kids coming into this mall. So why don't we make it so that kids had to come weekly? Mm-hmm. You know, if they stretched it out mm-hmm. to two weeks, we'd have huge pockets where there wouldn't be anyone being there. But we want to keep the pressure up of the mall always being swamped. You know, mm-hmm. so I think that was just an arbitrary, arbitrary time they picked. They don't want these people coming by every couple of days. A week seems safe, you know. That's true. Yeah, fair enough. Like, come back in a week, you know. <laughs> like, that should, you know, that should be enough time. Not too long for anything bad to happen to you, but not too soon that we can't keep up with the, you know, supply. 
yeah, I, I'm just rolling on the Tyson is a techno spy theory. I'm 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 all in now. I am fully in. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> look what you did to me. Join me, Liz. Join me. <laughs> and writers, look what you did. You ruined this man's love. <laughs> you betrayed him. Wow. We lured him over to the dark side. <laughs> Uh, anyone listening join please join me in this theory because i i've completely <laughs> bought into it now i, I never used to You're like you're not it. allowed to recruit the listeners <laughs> wow join the dark side she's a she's a spy she knows she, she is <laughs> she has to be all right sabine your secret agenda is taking hold i do not like this me neither is this how cults start mm-hmm <laughs> Okay, I mean, let's stick with the topic of the virus because we've mentioned it a little bit briefly. There's a lot of continuity annoyances that really bug me about it. Um, the writers don't seem to kind of know what they want to do with it. So, like, before we had Ellie bedbound, should we see how wrinkled she was and how quickly she was aging? But then in this episode, we see her in bed, lying in bed. She's just a little scuffed up, but there's no wrinkles whatsoever. And she's not had any antidote at this point in time. Um, why do you think the show really struggled to show what is quite a simple aspect such as making someone age budget i don't i honestly don't know it's very weird yeah i would i would guess budget too and um i can't imagine how overwhelming the back scenes of this must have been season two is insanely ambitious like, yeah. I think we can all agree with that. What they're trying to tackle in their stories and the, how many characters and how they've brought in the world that these kids are dealing with. Um, and we've already talked about how it's hard enough. They can't even keep continuity with face makeup, hairstyles, their pickup shots don't match. Mm-hmm. I, get, I get the sense there may have been a lot of chaos and scrambling. And I think if the story was terrible, then it, there would be there'd be no justification for this messiness, for this like chaos. But because yeah. it's like they, they just put the story ahead of everything, even the details, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, and they're lucky. It's a strong story. So it holds up. But I, I do. You see that sometimes when one thing is like sacrificed for another and they I don't know, the story was really important to them. Like this is all they mm-hmm. cared about and all the other details. They were like, ah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, because, yeah, there's so much inconsistencies with how the virus affects people how long they get sick i mean ellie looks like she's a crypt keeper in one scene and at the end of the episode she's fine like completely fine and i'm like i get that you know what tyson gave her is the real stuff but dude it wouldn't heal you in an hour like (laughs) what happened you know um no I, i really feel like they do not treat this antidote like they're not interested in the facts of how this would actually work scientifically. This is a plot device to push this story. That's all it is. That's all the antidote even is in season two. Just a plot device to explore mm-hmm. the issues of power that the Mallrats have now have to deal with. Because yeah, they just they don't care about the details of this stuff. From season one to now, they just don't care about those details at all. Yeah. And they're completely inconsistent. Did anyone check if they had the same makeup artist for these episodes? I I didn't check, but obviously we'll talk about it in a minute. There obviously there's a lot of yeah. um, tribes, sudden tribe style changes, and yeah, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. yeah. the whole mess of this episode. Yeah, 
honestly would never guess that it was the same uh, makeup artist. Now, granted, I don't know much about makeup, so I can't say much about that. But I ne- that makeup has never seemed consistent for me. It almost seems like uh, like you just have different makeup artists who decide mm-hmm. what I want Ebony to look for like for the next few weeks. And so that my- makeup artist takes over. But then someone else gets Ebony and they're like, you know what? I feel like this. And I feel like a lot mm-hmm. of the characters go through that where their makeup looks are not consistent you know as an interpretation of who they are as a person you know um so i never guessed there was just one makeup artist i just thought there were a bunch of them this is my interpretation of bray today you know what i I feel like this episode feels like it was filmed in patches i think Mm -hmm. that have added to the Mm -hmm. mess because yeah 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 Yeah, that's all you got. Yeah, I agree entirely. Like, did you film this over a course of a month? It could very well have been a lot of weird pickup shots that were clearly taken later, and yeah, like some real obvious continuity errors. Okay, let's let's stick with that while before we head to the, back to the farm. Um, yeah, so as we see, everyone suddenly undergoes several sudden tribe style shifts in this same episode sometimes from scene to scene um yeah what did you make of these new styles and did anyone find any of them interesting i mean i thought it was nice to see some changes but celine's was so sudden like one's the scene we see her in before she's got her hair pulled back and it's up and the next scene it's short and i believe she's giving ryan a hard time about changing his own hairstyle Mm -hmm. and i was like you're literally you when did you do yours <laughs> like wh- when did this happen what's so strange <laughs> well, it didn't happen while she was trying to get ryan into her bed i i did some just that's the whole it's issue like, it's, yes we it's did. like woman you just cut off like inches of your hair and you dyed it he can't that made me laugh she's sitting in bed her new hairstyle like tramps yes. down her arm she's like ryan uh-huh. why are you doing that come to bed come to bed <laughs> right now well when did you do yours it's still been the middle of the night it's never changed time uh, well clearly not while she was trying to get him into bed oh don't, don't get me started on that we'll come to that in a minute <laughs> but, uh, I, I, I think the introduction of some of the looks are jarring because they do just sort of appear i don't know where like i i, I think uh, celine's is the most jarring because she literally sits up and you're like Holy crap, you went to bed <laughs> that detailed? What? Mm-hmm. How? How? Why would you do that? You know, yeah. but um, hers is the most jarring for me. But I will say, these are some of my favorite looks for all of these characters. Mm-hmm. I love that look on Celine. It is fi- finally someone's giving this girl a flattering hairstyle yes. and makeup. She looks incredible. That cut works mm-hmm. with her jaw. She looks so beautiful. I'm just still just like, you went to sleep like that? <laughs> 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 I would, if I were Ryan, I wouldn't want to sleep next to you too. I'd be afraid your hair was going to stab me in the eyes. But it, that was sharp. Look at those points. Insane. Yeah. Um, this is probably my favorite Ebony look of yes, all time. Thank you. I was going to. No, she looks amazing. <laughs> She's incredible. I would become a bad guy to kiss her boots. She looks so good. Her hair, everything. That is the most flattering makeup she's ever. Had. I, she just is impeccable. That hair. Yeah. It's never been topped for me when it comes to Ebony's hair and the coloring and whoo, Meryl, she just looked amazing. I love Patsy and Chloe. Yeah, they just look so cute. It's just so perfect transition for like 
oh, we're 11 now. You know what I mean? We have different ideas and new ways to express ourselves and these colors really work and they stick with those colors with those two patsy wears a lot of pink mm -hmm. chloe wears a lot of green and i love some of these looks so freaking much <laughs> even if it is jarring that oh lex is at dinner he's got dreadlocks now when did that happen but it still <laughs> looks great on him you know and and all oh, chloe with that green lipstick on I love that little necklace she's got. That's just oh, mm -hmm. her. Her and Patsy are styling. They're so cute. You, you know, when I saw them, my first thought was, "Okay, so someone's finally making use of Sandra's stash." <laughs> yeah. Even KC has got these spikes. Yeah. It's like smooth <laughs> out. I mean, for, for the girls, I can imagine they probably did it to take their minds of everything going on with poor Bob. It's a time of change too, so it visually represents that our our mall rats are moving on. We're leaving behind Eagle Mountain and the way we used to look, and we are transitioning into a new evolution of what it is to have a society, to be at the top of that society, to be responsible for that society, mm -hmm. and to run it. And I so that visually it takes you on that journey, and everyone just looks fantastic. Everyone looks amazing and. So yeah, it's jarring and it is weird where you have Ryan in one scene, he's doing his hair and you can see the little bleach marks on it. And then there's another scene of them confront, you know, talking to Lex about what happened to Tyson yes. and Ryan's hair is normal. And then the next scene, he's got polka dots in his hair and you're like, what happened? <laughs> 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 Did no one notice that? <laughs> But I'm like, okay, obviously a lot of pickup shots had to be taken. They were like, let's go back and film this scene to explain something. Because they probably noticed they had holes in their story. And they were like, oh, mm -hmm. we forgot to shoot a scene explaining Ryan's anger about Spike and whatever. And let's go back and shoot this scene so that we can see what's going on between him and Celine. And can't do anything about the makeup. Hopefully the nine-year-olds won't notice. <laughs> <laughs> Let your feet find the path, Alice. What will be, will be. You're out to lunch. Oh, I mean that in a good way. Alice is initially mistrustful of Ty San and skeptical of her beliefs. Later, when Ellie begins responding to the antidote, she's very grateful and softens towards her, realizing that she doesn't trust that Ty San doesn't trust the rest of the Morats with the antidote formula. Um, yeah, Panel, what did you make of the scenes between the two of them at the farm and Alice's changing views? Can I just say this is my favorite friendship ever? Mm -hmm. It's mine too. The, the, the dynamic between these two is amazing. I love the fact that Alice isn't initially impressed by Tyson. You know, she's not, ooh, ah. She's not mean to her. She just thinks she's a weirdo. Yeah. But she's polite about it almost. You know what I mean? Um, right. I also love the fact that you get the sense that Tyson isn't able to pull any kind of wool over Alice's eyes. Like, mm -hmm. We agree that Tyson has a way of talking to people that makes them go, oh, wow, I've never seen it that way before. Like she's yeah, just she does. blowing, mm -hmm. you know, pixie dust in their face. And But Alice doesn't fall for it. You know what I mean? The fact that she immediately catches Tyson out, you don't trust them. You know what I mean? She doesn't buy any of the hoopla. She isn't amazed by any of it. She's just straight to the facts. You don't trust your tribe. That's why you're holding on to this. And Tyson doesn't have an answer for that because most people don't catch that about her. You know, they... um. I, I just like yeah. that they read each other very well. 
you know, um, <laughs> like when Ellie's getting better, Alice immediately comes out. She thanks Tyson, everything like that. And, you know, like Tyson says something, you know, spiritual and everything. And like, Alice is like, you're such a nutcase, you know, and look at Tyson's face. She's actually like insulted. And I was like, oh, I'm, I didn't mean it that way. I mean, you're crazy, but it's cool, you know, and I'm like, this is fantastic. These are two people who see each other, get each other, and will simply accept each other for the way they exactly. are. Exactly. <laughs> she sees Tyson for the weirdo that she is, and she's just like, "It's cool. I don't. I'm not bothered by it. Yeah, you be I'm, you. You be you, and I'll be me. And I got you." Yeah. Like she's not going to recruit Alice, but Alice isn't also going to treat her with the same disdain mm -hmm. her tribe mates do. Yes. Yeah, because Alice respects the fact that Tyson can do things she can't. And she's not insecure about it at all. It mm -hmm. doesn't bother Alice that I don't get what you're about. You know what I mean? Like other people, that's why they, they find Tyson jarring and unsettling because mm -hmm. they don't understand her. So they'd rather just stay away from it because it makes them feel weird. Alice doesn't care that she doesn't understand Tyson. That's cool. It's fine. It doesn't have any effect on their ability to be friends. Mm -hmm. You know, she calls Tyson all the time. You're such a weirdo, but fine. Let's go do this, weirdo. You're my I chose to be friends with the weirdo, so I'm cool with it. And mm -hmm. I love that about them, you know, and oh my gosh, I just, I love the dynamic from the start. <laughs> the fact that Tyson's like, she's not charmed by anything I'm saying, like most people are. And and yet she's also not cruel to me like most people are. I mean, Alice can call Tyson a fruitcake, a space cadet, whatever, without being mean. Right. Whereas if someone like Lex says that, or when Amber used to say that, they really were being mean and mocking her beliefs. Right. Yeah. Also, the minute Alice realizes that she might have hurt Tyson's feelings, what's the first thing she does? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it like yeah. that. I don't want mm -hmm. you to take the wrong way. Yes. And you get the sense that Tyson is shocked that someone would apologize for offending her. Mm -hmm. She doesn't know what to do with actual acceptance from people. You know, she's, and this is the very start. You know, later, she's going to try pushing Alice away because that works with everybody else. But Alice, it won't go anywhere. No. And it starts here. This sense, this, I, I see you. Okay, I'm not buying any of your religion, but you're allowed to believe it. That's cool, mm -hmm. you know. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I love it. It's the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Someone's finally gonna love Tyson and teach her what it is to love other people. <laughs> <laughs> to be a real human girl. I also like how quick um, Alice picks up on the situation. Like, I don't believe she was ever going to hurt Tyson. Uh, because like, Tyson wouldn't have given her a reason to. Right. And um, she, I mean, her demeanor changes as soon as she realized Tyson was telling me the truth. Awesome. Thank you. You know, everything's cool. <laughs> Water to the bridge. I kidnapped you, yep. but it's not a big deal. I like that for both of them. It's not a big deal. <laughs> Neither of them care that that's how this friendship started. And then immediately her concern thinking like she's the one who works out. This girl isn't safe, you know? Um, yep. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, remember, Alice shouldn't even care. Her sister's already safe. Whatever happens in the mall rats and their antidote shouldn't even matter to Alice at this point. And yet she takes it upon herself to care. That girl yeah. is in danger, you know? And the way Ellie's like, we've got to do something. She saved my life. Yeah. I think it really sets up Alice's, you know, their characters and who they are. Yeah. Alice is just a good, she is a good person. As she says, I owe you, 
You know what mm-hmm. I mean? What can I give you? You saved my little sister. I'll do anything to make up for that. And it, she might as well be Chewbacca. That was a life debt to her. She's yeah. like, you're going to travel the galaxy together. I will never leave your side, you know? And I'm like, damn. Again, someone who walks the walk. Yep. She is just an honest person. Salt of the earth. <laughs> Love her. Oh, did anyone notice how she was instantly bossing Lex around? Mm-hmm. It was great. Yeah, you get the guard, Lex. I'm guarding I'm the guarding lady. The lady. <laughs> I definitely laughed. I even love the way she insinuates herself under the guise that she didn't know what Lex and Ebony were up to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though she knew dead on. Like, uh-huh. I mean, her and Ellie wasted no time following them. And she comes and she's like, oh, you city kids don't know where you're going. But And she's playing it off like it was just a silly mistake. But she mm-hmm. knew exactly what Lex and Ebony were doing. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting because her and Tysan played the same game. Tysan also pretends that she didn't understand what was happening, you know, and jumps on board with Alice. Like, that's a great idea. But it's like they both, you know, they're both pretending they didn't understand the situation when mm-hmm. they very clearly did. Fantastic. Like, you're made for each other. We're doing it again. <laughs> <laughs> I swear in the silence my brain's like they have another reason you love Alice it's just a very Alice centric episode it's fine mm-hmm. it's not my fault she's so wonderful uh, yeah I was just drifting off into yeah. the, the feelings of her love I just love her so much mm-hmm. <laughs> I think she's one of those characters that hardly anybody dislikes she also doesn't disappoint us I think that's really important yeah. She doesn't really let us down. She is who she is. She is who she's promised to be, you know? And it's just, you never really go through a moment where you're like, I don't like Alice's episode. I don't like what she's doing. It just doesn't really happen. Even when she has done unfavorable things, okay? It's never been, Mm -hmm. you know, it's always been because someone has let her down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, you get it. You completely understand why she, and I, I honestly don't believe Alice ever crosses the line Mm-mm. between like that line where I know you're hurt but you shouldn't treat people this way right Alice never seems to cross that line no you know no matter how mm-hmm. hurt she is by somebody she never says something she can't just take back or does something she can't undo you know um she just doesn't let you down solid as a rock <laughs> yep <laughs> I'm gonna clobber him you're not still on about Spike are you show him what's what Good and proper. See how he likes it. Ryan, what good's that gonna do now? Show him he can't treat people like that and get away with it. Especially not my girl. My girls! So yeah, Ryan has a quite surprising reaction. So it's still upset at Spike's infiltration of the wall. We see a visibly riled up Ryan express his frustration to Celine about how Spike treated her, Patsy and Chloe. Um, we see him make the comment, especially not my girls, my girls. Mm-hmm. See a panel, how react to ryan's outburst and like the confirmation that he views himself seeing the girls as his family unit oh it was so adorable I, yeah and I, I i did really feel bad for him in that moment because you could definitely feel the frustration at how he felt not being able to protect them mm-hmm. and it's just heartbreaking I think it might be a, a definitely a culmination of what happened on Eagle Mountain, even though most of us mm-hmm. are left without any sense of resolution of what that did to our characters. Yes. I think this is a scene where you can tell what it did to a character. He 
he took Zandra under his protection. Even when she wasn't with him, she was his friend. He would have done anything to keep her safe. And she died. Yeah. He couldn't do anything to save her. Mm -hmm. You know, he couldn't do anything to save his leader, Amber. And that vulnerability that you're left with, that realization that I was there, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't drag them out. Maybe he tried. We don't know what happened, you know, and... And that makes you cling to the people who matter to you all the more. He's looking at Celine and the girls and thinking, oh my gosh, I could lose you. Something could yes. happen. Mm -hmm. I'm powerless to stop it. And the frustration and fear that builds up around that. And I, I definitely think this is a sign of that PTSD of experiencing that loss and realizing mm -hmm. what can I do to prevent that from happening again, you know? They yeah. came in our mall. They attacked my girls. They attacked my girl's dog. They, like, I can't, and I couldn't do anything. Yes. You know? <laughs> they have it right in front of his face again where he feels so incredibly helpless and hopeless. And it's, I, I feel really bad for his character. But it's nice to see the emotion. He's trying to be a good man, you know? Yes. But there are times when he feels like maybe Lex is onto something, you know? Because being good yeah. makes you vulnerable. You know, and if I wasn't a good man, I would have just gone after them, you know, and I'd make it clear, you can't do this, not to my girls, you know, and right. And that's really difficult, I think, for all men, you know, when you're going from boy to man, trying to figure out what kind of man you're supposed to be and mm -hmm. what society tells you is being a man and what women want out of you as a man. Uh, and Ryan's asked that really delicate cusp of what kind of man do I want to be and how do I become that, you know? Mm-hmm my girls oh my heart i know i know the way he reiterates they went after my girl my girls and i'm like oh right yes <laughs> my dream daddy <laughs> it just breaks my heart knowing what's gonna happen i know i know yeah if anyone deserves the place of best dad in the mole rats it's ryan I've said it before. There's a quote from a book about a really great character that reminds me of Ryan. And it says, if Adelio isn't a man, I'll never meet one. And that's how I feel about Ryan. Like, if he's not a real mm -hmm. man, then they don't freaking exist. Yep. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes. And that's what makes it all the sadder is he's striving so hard to be like other mm -hmm. men, like other guys that he thinks are real men. And not knowing that he really is, he's just, he's, He's good, you know? He doesn't have to be anybody else. It's my Steve Rogers, guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Hey, Y'all. Captain America. I can do this all day. Yes, you can, baby. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We, we have to talk about his relationship with Celine. <laughs> do we really, though? <laughs> but I don't want to. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> You guys, it's a little too soon to already be so frustrated with these guys. <laughs> I know. This is why it doesn't work. Because, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, what did you make of this scene? Because we see Celine constantly begging Ryan to come to bed. But then we see the flip side of her being constantly annoyed at him and thrown a fit when he goes searching for her around the mall and off orphan to help her. Um, yeah, well, like, what, what did you make of that? She only wants his attention when she wants it. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the way it, it, it appears. It does, doesn't it? I didn't want to say it, but come on. <laughs> All right, to be fair, here it comes. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm sorry, Maggie. Come on. Come on. You know come I can't on. help it. It's the mom energy in me. All right. To be um. fair, 
I definitely do agree. I think all of us at any age can have that, that little bit of that aspect of, I want my partner to be what I want them to be when I want them to be it. And we're annoyed when they're not. Yeah. It's really that simple. Um, But I honestly, in this situation, I really think just like Ryan's insecurities are coming out and what kind of man he's supposed to be and um, constantly battling with that, being afraid of being the wrong kind of man and all that stuff. And it makes him agitated and all that stuff. And we're like, okay, Mm -hmm. we, we get it. We know where it's coming from. I think Celine's insecurities are getting the better of her too. She is with a guy. And we already know Celine's ideas about men and women and how relationships work. And we know her closeted misogyny that she has about men and women. If I were Celine and I believed that a man who's with me but doesn't want me sexually, I would believe there was something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. Why is he here? Absolutely. Why is he in my room if he doesn't want to be with me? Is he just with me because he feels sorry for me? Is he just with me because he thinks I require care but he's not attracted to me? And again, granted, we know it's not the most mature response to have if we think someone isn't res- attracted to us. I do get it. I understand that Celine is feeling insecure. She doesn't understand why Ryan seems to be avoiding physical intimacy with her, especially since they've been together for a little while. And he's, everything else he's doing makes her think okay. he, wants, he wants this, but why doesn't he, what's wrong with me? Am I ugly? No wonder she did herself up and did her hair and mm-hmm. he still doesn't want to come to bed and I get it, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. And he's so obviously avoiding the bed, avoiding the physical time with her that it's natural for her to be like very irritated. Like you didn't want to be with me and yet you act like I'm the most important person in the world to you. You've been looking all over the mall for me and you're so concerned about me. And it's just like, I would feel like I was his pet project. Like, I don't or need sister. to babysit me. Right. Or I don't want oh, yeah. your little sister, you know. Yes. I want to be your girlfriend. Yeah. No, I mean, I guess, like, when you put it that way, I, I have, you know, a bias against Celine, so I don't really, like, think about it from her point of view, uh, but you putting it that way, it absolutely makes sense. I'm not saying you know? she's being mature and, about it, but... Right, no, yeah, no, I get it, I totally... But it makes sense it. for a girl so, race. Yes. yes, Um, and all the while, I feel like it's just Brian either being awkward... Oh, yes. ...about being intimate with her or it's more he doesn't want to come off like the same type of person that Lex yeah. is. Yeah, I think that might be part of the problem. You know? I mean, Celine knows he used to hang out with Lex a lot and well Lex is only interested in one thing at least in her point of view. So why wouldn't the other guys be the same? Yep, she definitely has those backward views of assuming that's what every guy who's interested in you wants and if he doesn't yes. there's something wrong. <sighs> And she might have been just have been raised that way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, boys only want one thing. I can recall at a young age um, going through a period where I definitely, I definitely believe that all guys must feel like this, Mm -hmm. and it's it's always the girl who has to resist physical intimacy. You know what I mean? That's expected. That's what we're taught. Mm -hmm. And yet, when a guy resists physical intimacy, our society immediately says there's something wrong with him. He must be. Oh, is he gay? (laughs) Yeah, and it's just like, no, maybe he's just not ready and doesn't want to do that. And um, so I'm just not surprised that Celine would be upset and not understand what is going on with him. Like, why doesn't he want to be with me? And being irritated when, again, during the day, he makes it so clear how crazy he is about her. And where are you? I was looking for you. I want to make sure you're safe. And I don't want you to have to fight, uh, deal with the girls. I'll take care of it. And, and she's just like, I'm not your pity party. I don't need you to come in here and take care of me when it 
you know, helps you feel like a big man, you know? What about my freaking needs, Ryan? <laughs> mm-hmm. It feels like mixed signals to her. Yeah, absolutely. See, I do agree with what you're saying there, but at the same time, we do see a kind of pattern with Celine. Like, what happened with Bray? She She's very like specific ways that she wants someone to behave and if they don't behave in that specific way then she'll completely flip out and react <laughs> massively so i'm not, i'm not too sure i don't oh there's I... definitely a, a pattern you're right about that absolutely <laughs> she is totally have a pattern of being unfair especially to ryan when he doesn't know exactly what it is she wants or mm-hmm. needs from him even though she just simply won't tell him I agree with you that she has these odd expectations that everybody has and that she, for me, my pattern that Celine has that drives me crazy is that instead of trying to solve a problem, Celine hedges around it. Like she never tells Ryan, I really need this from you. It's very rare for Celine to sit down and say, Ryan, this is how I'm feeling and this is what I need from you. So that Ryan mm-hmm. can go, oh, okay, I know what's expected of me now. Instead, what Celine usually does is stew in her anger or insecurity or resentment and then get even more angry at Ryan for not being able to read her mind about what's going on so that she can fight with him. That's mm. the pattern she has that mm. I can't stand. I mean, yeah, even if he could read her mind, <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't be enough. <laughs> I don't think it'd be enough. I mean, this is the, this is the ultimate problem between the two of them. There will never be what the other person completely wants. Um, yeah, I think that's the best way to put it. I don't I think they could be that person. And ultimately, I don't think it would ever work, even if future events didn't happen. Agreed. In defense of Ryan, what Ryan wants is always basically the same. Celine tends to waffle between what she wants. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a lot harder yes. to deal with with a partner when you... Like, okay, I'm, he's, he'll be what she wants today because that's what she wants today. And then tomorrow she wants something different. Mm. And poor Ryan is just like, if you would tell me, if you just give me the itinerary for the day of the role I'm supposed to play every morning, I'll try mm-hmm. to do that. <laughs> but, um, so I think at least with Ryan, he is consistent as to what it is he wants and what he can give in a relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Celine's the one who's like... I don't know. And I'm not even, I'm not dissing her. She's only like, what, 15, 16, fine. But oh, I being in a relationship with her would be a nightmare. Because <laughs> you just don't know who you're waking up with. Sorry, I've got very little sympathy for Celine. I don't have much sympathy either, but I think she's, I'm not going to say it. You know what mind. Celine reminds me of? I was actually thinking about it. Um, and why Celine tends to rub people all the wrong way a lot, even though many of her behaviors can be completely written up as common behaviors for her age and her situation. And I was like, why do we? Why are we so mad at her? And I was realizing Celine represents the part of us that we are all capable of being and have been, but we didn't like that part of ourselves. We had to grow up. We had to mature out of that person. We hated that person, you know, and Celine is like the quintessential definition of the worst of us when we're this age and we're in relationships and we do not handle them well. And it sucks to stare at her and see it. You know, you're just like, oh, she reminds me too much of a person I don't want to be, but I know I'm capable of being and I have been, you know, and it's, I really do think that uh, can it rubs you the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, I hate her. Ouch, you just made me realize things. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I have a point. 
<laughs> thanks thanks a whole lot when i first watched the movie bridget jones diary everybody loved it but i hated it i hated bridget so much and i had to ask myself why do i hate bridget what is wrong with bridget like what is so terrible about bridget that i hate her and then i realized i hated bridget because she was everything i hated about myself everything i didn't <laughs> want to be everything i was trying to you know overcome bridget was just me and all my grossness and i was like oh i didn't like seeing it. i want my heroine to be someone i can aspire to not who i actually am <laughs> and i look at Celine and i'm like that's what i see i see that i'm like oh she's the worst of every 15 year old girl in a relationship and we all remember being Celine. we've all done what Celine oh, has yeah. in some form I related so much to her at that age. I, I can't relate, but. <laughs> well, Lance, I'm one of the all girls, so you're out of luck. I understand what you mean, though, yeah. I'm not defending her. I'm just, you know. I can see how she feels that whatever she does apparently isn't good enough for Ryan to, you know, fully be hers. And she gets annoyed about that. I get that. Don't worry, my irritation with Celine will grow. I'm still in my I'm totally fair stage right now. But then she's annoyed and then she goes off and does what she does and it's like, oh. Uh-huh. Don't worry, we'll get there. No, but in general, I don't like Celine and Ryan because of these things, you know, and in the same way that I can't really be a Bramber, you know, because at their core, I feel their, their foundation of their relationship is broken. I look at Celine and Ryan and I see the same thing in many ways. It makes it exactly, just yes. so hard and impossible to root for them. Though I won't lie, I do root for Ryan and Celine more than Bramber. Um, mainly because Celine and Ryan at least have a working mm -hmm. relationship. They mm -hmm. are attempting to work through their problems. They may have a bunch of them, but they're always trying to work through them. Where Bramber <laughs> never resolves their problems, yeah. ever. Just the, the first time around, I I felt they should be together. After the first time around, all I could think was, "Oh, poor Ryan, you deserve better." I wish you would just date Alice. Yeah. Oh, I wish. I wish Ryan and that Alice found each other. Biggest wish, yeah. yeah. Ah. <laughs> oh, but isn't that the way? So don't we always see that? Like, oh, we meet a guy; he's the greatest guy. Mm -hmm. But even we don't want to date him for some weird reason. And then we meet a girl; same thing. And it's just like, why do these great people not end up with other great people? <laughs> What's wrong with us as a species? Wouldn't be good storytelling. Are we not? We're just not attracted to greatness. We're broken. <laughs> no, Tyson. It's this way. But surely. It's a shortcut. Yeah. Hey, just a minute. What's your problem? Hey, you're going the wrong way. <laughs> You city kids! I'm surprised you lasted this long. It's this way. Ebony and Lex decide to lead a rescue party for Tai San, and Danny decides to accompany them because she doesn't trust either of them. But undeterred by Danny's presence, Ebony and Lex plan to take Tai Sans themselves rather than return to the mall. Let's focus on that first of all. Did it surprise no one, anyone at all, that Lex would suddenly have this surprise change of heart? And that he would kidnap Tyson. Lex is floundering. I want to say yes, but not really. Yeah, he doesn't know what he's doing or where he's going at this point. He really doesn't. He doesn't have a direction. He doesn't have a guidepost. He doesn't even know what he no. wants. He's still grieving. He's grasping. He's That's grasping. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
I'm not surprised. He's grasping for any solid thing that he can hold on to that's real in front of him, you know. And Ebony's offering him something. It's a massive 180 from like the last episode. It is. It absolutely is. And it is very disappointing. But it's not out of character at all for who Lex is. And what he's also just gone through. Lex has zero solid ground under his feet right now. He is standing on shifting sand. And he's literally just kind of moving where the sand moves. Mm-hmm. And um, and everything he does, everybody's side eyeing him, and and you know, like he can't get a, a good response from anyone in the tribe. And there is no one he can trust to say that what you're doing is okay. No, even everyone needs a cheerleader. Everybody needs someone who believes in you. Mm-hmm. And exactly. Lex took advantage of his biggest cheerleader, and the person who saw the best in him, who liked him as he was. He just lost her. He doesn't even have his best friend doing it anymore. You know, and he is so lost and alone and doesn't know what to think of anything he does. So, yeah, I think grasping is the perfect example. Just underwater reaching for anything. I'm going to do something I normally don't do. But I'm just thinking, did Lex go with Ebony to ensure Ebony wouldn't get Tysan on her own? No. (laughs) It's, It's the tiny little voice. In my head. As nice as that might be to think. Well, I definitely believe that Lex wouldn't do anything to hurt Tysan and that he seemed genuinely concerned about her. No, he wouldn't. I don't think it goes as deep as... I don't think he has thought as far as if I left her with Ebony, what the heck would Ebony do to her, you know? Would he see her again? I do think this is a really interesting um, dive into what his Mm -hmm. journey is going to be. The downward spiral for Lex. He's so ineffectual. Yeah. He doesn't have any good plans. He's not capable of doing anything. He's lost his job as, you know, mall security. He he wasn't even that good at it before, you know, and so now it's even worse. You know, he legit let Alice take Tyson because he was afraid of what Alice would do to him. Lex feels so small right now and completely emasculated by the women around him. It's not Bray who is his biggest opponent. He's comfortable going up against Bray. It's just another guy. Let's compare our balls. It's all these women who are making him feel so friggin' tiny. It used to just be Amber. You know, but Amber was willing to work with him. But these three women, Danny, Ebony, Alice, oh my goodness, Lex must feel two inches tall. He's running away from his bedroom because Alice has moved in. This is the start of his useless spiral and how he must feel. (laughs) I don't even, he used to be a big fish in a small pond when it was just the mall rats. And we saw how threatened he was by another fish in there, Bray. And now the pond has expanded and there's so many fish in there that can eat him. And Lex is just like, I don't know. I don't have a school to swim with. I don't know what to do with myself. I got nothing. And the ladies are sharks. Yes, all the ladies are sharks. He can't victimize yeah. any of them. Yes. <laughs> if anything, Alice would victimize him. He can't hunt for food. He's got nothing going for him. He doesn't have any allies. Oh, poor. I almost feel sorry for him. But I mean, this is his karmic punishment. The poor boy only has KC. Yeah. And you see it in this whole episode. He doesn't really have any good ideas. He's just winging it. <laughs> he's, he's, he's unsure of everything he says and does. We're not used to seeing Lex like that. He usually has some sense of confidence, even if it was misplaced. He's got none of that now. 
I mean, what is what is big, big, his biggest accomplishment in this episode? Using KC to scam sick kids out of outdated technology. He's scamming for Game Boys and Polaroid cameras. Way to go, Rex. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's sad. <laughs> it's a sad fall for the little king. It is. This is the start of the fall, too. Yep. This is where I think it really starts for him. It just keeps, and that hole just keeps getting bigger and bigger. It's a good visual for depression, though, yep. I think. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think Caleb does a fantastic job. Yeah, he, he does. Definitely A-plus acting, because you can feel it. I just, I, there's mm-hmm. a part of me that just feels sorry for the guy. Like, jeez. Yes. As for Ebony, we already knew she was queen, and she's finally getting to show like that mm-hmm. promise that we were given right. in season one when we realized when I realized Ebony was the main antagonist. It was never meant to be Zoot. And getting to see her and Amber just square off and hearing the things that came out of Ebony's mouth. I'm like, oof. And I waited all through season one for that promise to come out. Yeah. And mm-hmm. in the end of season three, it feels I mean, season one it feels a little squandered because her focus is on Bray mostly, you know. So this is nice that she's not trying to get a guy. She's trying to get her power and we get to watch how Ebony works a room mm-hmm. and she's just this beautiful yes. escalating threat in the background that our heroes are, they're aware of, but they don't know what to do with it. It's like fungus in your walls. Like <laughs> I can't afford to get rid of this, but I got to, or it's going to kill us all. The tension Ebony brings, just knowing she's there, getting stronger and stronger and constantly planning. And it's like, is there anyone here smart enough to take her? <laughs> yeah, let's mention Danny as well, because wh- what do you think of mm. her accompanying them to the farm? Smart girl. It was a good plan to uh, begin with, but I mean, yeah, it was definitely smart. But she doesn't yeah. do anything. But who is she? Did it not feel odd that it came, the suggestion came from her? Like, I mean, I guess knowing what we know kind of but when you watch it for the first time it just seems like she's trying to be helpful and trying to make sure that you know ebony and lex don't run things afoul but like now that we know who she is and what she represents and why she's doing what she's doing it's a little sketch i just thought it was a smart move it was they were giving danny something Mm -hmm. to do um and of course it's what amber would have done and um Mm -hmm. It's just an, it's just another way to keep Bray out of the action. I don't know why season one wants to. I mean, season two wants to keep Bray out of the action at every turn, but they yeah. you'll see moments like this come up time and again where Bray, as a leader, isn't allowed to be a leader. There's always someone talking him out of it. Like mm-hmm. you can't yes. go, so Bray just has to sit there. Like okay, he just becomes sort of a figurehead. And he doesn't actually get to do anything. I don't know why they did this. Maybe it's just because this was the season of the women. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think for this scene, it made sense for Bray to stay behind. Simply because if Bray had been there, he would have argued with Ebony and Lex when uh, when they tried to take Tysan the wrong way and everything. And we wouldn't have had that lovely edition of Alice. Because they would have had to knock Bray out to do that. If she was still to come along, if she was still going to be her Tyson's bodyguard. Yeah, but just not in the no, not in the way we see it happening. In this situation, I think it's a harmless choice, but not like yeah. a necessary one. Like I don't feel like Bray had to stay behind. I think the scene would have still worked if Bray had gone with them. 
Um, I think it would have been exactly the same because Danny doesn't do that much that's different than what Bray would have done. She's fine. She's totally fine. She does. She serves her purpose. I think she's super cute in the scene. She's the only one who actually had a plan. That's awesome. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I don't think it would have been any different if they had decided to let Bray go. You know, same things would have happened and Alice would have shown up and Bray would have totally been on board with her being a bodyguard. Mm-hmm. I think everything would have just been exactly the same. So it's not necess- it wasn't necessary, but it's kind of like a harmless one. Um, but there will be scenes later where I'm just like, Bray should be allowed to be a friggin' leader. Why do you keep writers keep making him ineffectual and not allowed to do anything when he should be doing something? And I'm like, but all the I think maybe it's just this is a season of the ladies, you know, the double X chromosome, because they're the ones who get to do everything. They're the ones moving the plot forward. Yeah, and they had to put Danny into a lot of things just to get her character a little bit of, you know. Yeah, they, they make attempts for her to stand out as not so obvious to Amber. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they succeed and sometimes they fail miserably. See, this might be a very unjustified opinion, but it does feel like, um, I don't know, like when, when you have Alice and you, you can feel that she immediately, immediately reads people and she can get a feel of them. But Danny, I don't feel, I don't feel like they portray that enough. So her suddenly going, oh, yeah, I know I can read Lex and Ebony. I know exactly what they're about after being in the mall for like two hours. It just doesn't, I don't know, I don't feel it. But when Alice, when you see it with Alice, you just come in and you can, you can feel that she's like reading people and making a, a judgment on them. I just don't get that from Alice, from sorry, from Danny, um, to kind of make this scene work for me. I, I don't know, if it, does, it might be unjustified, but. Well, Bray did tell her a lot about the background, so. Surely some of Lex and Ebony must have come into play there. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I can I see both sides of that. Like I do I think it's plausible that her distrusting Lex and Ebony has a lot to do with what Bray already told her and just her general mistrust for people in any way. But I also think, Lance, you're onto something. There this is one of those moments where you feel the seams in the writing where Amber had to be cut out and, and Danny had to be pasted in. It would make perfect sense. For Amber to show uh-huh. complete distrust for Lex and mm-hmm. Ebony in the situation because she has a freaking history with that. Yes. And it makes sense for Amber to say, Bray, you take care of things in the mall, but I'm the proactive one in this pair. I'm going to go follow them. And Bray being like, you do that because I trust you implicitly to go mm-hmm. So when you put Amber in yeah. that situation, you don't have any questions. All of it makes perfect sense because it would work for her character. When you have to put Danny there, yeah, there's a part of you going, why does she feel so strongly about these people mm-hmm. she has zero history with, mm-hmm. you know? And why doesn't she push Bray to be the one to go chase after mm-hmm. the people he knows and would be able to read if something went down? But yeah, I, I, I do think it, that's where you can see those seams. And those are the moments when they couldn't really differentiate the difference between Amber and Danny and moments that would have made way more sense if it were Amber playing the part rather than Danny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you see, Danny, she stands and she's like, oh, I don't know what to do in this situation. And then Alice saves the day. She doesn't really put up much of a fight. It's just speechless. Yeah. You know. (laughs) Now, had it been Amber, had it been Amber there. And again, if it had been Amber, would Lex have even tried it? It would have been different. (laughs) (laughs) Like, would Lex and Ebony thought they could pull this off if Amber was there? (laughs) Ebony might have thought so, but even C would have been more careful likes to be like mom sees everything um yeah st- sticking with that um the scene as they go head back to the sea um yeah what did you make of uh the first impressions about ellie 
Um, <laughs> I, hmm. <laughs> no, go on. I knew I wasn't gonna like her. I, I it was one of those, you know, like not even just yet. It's after she returns to the mall, but she's definitely one of those characters where I'm like, who are you? Who are who is this person that just thinks that she? I I I. It's horrible. I agree with the boys there. Just the way Jack responds with it. Who do you think you are? Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, she's definitely, like, comes off as... Or I get the, the Danny vibe from her. Like, I, I did with Danny where I just... I'm like, you come in too strong. Yeah. But blonde. It's too strong. And I, I, I want to like it, but this isn't going to work. When I, I think of Ellie, my opinion of her has changed over the years. I'll probably never love Ellie but I didn't like her at all when mm-hmm. I first met her as a character. Mm-hmm. She drove me crazy. She was mm-hmm. everything I hated about 13-year-old girls. Yes. You know, I hated myself when I was a 13-year-old yes. girl. And I'm like, oh, great. Ellie's holding up a mirror to my childhood past. And I, just, <laughs> I didn't like her, you know? But I will say I have changed my opinion about Ellie. Well, again, she'll never be my favorite. I respect Ellie as a woman. And um, I was thinking about the way Ellie is presented and how abrasive it is yes. and how in your face, like you can't not know Ellie moved into your freaking mall. You know, <laughs> She's just so exactly. And it's, I'm like, why is this so bothersome to us? I'll, she's a young, confident woman. And then I, I was like, Oh my gosh, Ellie is Jack. Jack is an abrasive person. <laughs> Jack is a jerk to the people he's supposed <laughs> to care about. He treats his boyfriend like garbage. <laughs> You know what I mean? Jack is a dick to everyone. Even when they're just trying to help, he constantly whines and bitches and complains. And he's an arrogant a-hole. But we all like Jack. Why? He's a guy. It's okay for guys to be that way. But here comes Ellie, who's just as abrasive and in your face and annoying. And we're like, oh my gosh, double X chromosomes aren't supposed to act that way. I, I just... <laughs> I do? Come on, she comes into that room and instantly starts calling Jack and Hell nerds. That's not even just that. It's like she walks into the room and she's like, well, this is mine now. I live here. It's mm-hmm. my home. So your room is like, it's just the way that she came across as well. Now everything's mine. Mm-hmm. It, it, I'm just saying that Ellie doesn't do anything more worse than how Jack treats people. No, yeah, I, I, I like, absolutely ah, agree with Jack. you there. I agree it's with just you, Jack. There. And Jack saying you everything know. was mine in the beginning was because everything was his in the beginning. But you don't see him mm-hmm. walking around going, "Well, I live here, so you know." Um, they may not do exactly the same things, but they're both dis- unlikable in many of the same ways. I agree. She has his same arrogance, his same confidence in herself. You know, it, probably more. <laughs> so <laughs> you know what I mean. And uh, yeah, I just thought. They're both very, very annoying people. I just thought it was interesting that Ellie is more hated than, say, Jack is. And I'm like, gee, it's I probably because the Jack was there from the beginning and Ellie wasn't. You know, yeah. Ellie's this person coming in and she's just like, "Hi, now I'm good. I don't want to be your friend." <laughs> but you guys can't deny that the girls in the show are judged way more harshly. Oh, I agree. I, than I agree. Any of the males are. I was just gonna say, I'm pretty sure that I have, like, I, I'm fond more so of many of the male characters. But you'll hear me like talk a lot of crap about the female characters. Mm-hmm. So I'm just saying, like, Ellie is annoying. She definitely is. But I'm like, is she worse than Lex that everybody still loves and adores? <laughs> Well, Lex you is know. the, that's, oh, I don't get it. It's fine. I like, I like Lex, but not. Like, Lex is the bad boy. 
Allie is the cheerleader. You got to check your biases when you're thinking about these characters and how you're judging them. Oh, no. Yeah, I know. Why is this character getting a pass for abominable behavior? But this character is just a little irritating and put her burn her on the cross. Can't stand her. But I still don't really. I, I get it. I don't like it. <laughs> Maybe it's Jennifer Jewell. I don't. I'm sorry, Jen. I'm so sorry. I, no, I think I do think you're right. But I do think a lot of the hate didn't come until obviously later on. Yeah. Yeah. But I I don't know. It was just always this little something, and even. Alice refers to her sister as a little brat. She definitely is. Ellie's a brat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, there are worse things to be. That's all I'm saying. Like, <laughs> there are worse things to be than an entitled little brat when you're 13 years old. I think for me, it was just she came across as this perfect, tiny little thing who was walking around thinking she owned a place. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, she comes across as your standard high school blonde. Yeah, I can see. I can understand the stereotype. We haven't had one. Yeah, I think. You know, the, no. the mean girls left. Yeah, it. yeah, no. And I think my biggest issue is that we've already been introduced to this this character this season that has walked into the mall and been like, well, I'm in charge now. Mm-hmm. You know, and to have another character come in so quickly who didn't say, oh, I'm in charge, but she. She literally just walked in like she owned the place. Walks into Jack's room, starts touching everything, looking at everything, and then going, both of you, out of this room. Like She closes his laptop. Where did you come from? (laughs) And why do you think you have the right to do this in in someone's home? Someone who, you know, you're in their home. And it's just really frustrating. You know what is interesting about Ellie? Um, Again, this is something I think the show does really, really well. we get lots of ideas of what masculine energy is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. We have all these different guys to look at. We get to see how their masculinity is portrayed based on their personalities and their circumstances. And the show never tells us which one is the right way or which one's the wrong way. They're just given to us as examples. And we get a lot of that with our female characters too. What is feminine strength? And we have all these amazing mm-hmm. female characters showing strength in different ways. And, you know, some by force, some taking on masculine traits like Ebony, you know, some using their sexuality, all of that stuff. And I really think it's really, it's cool to see the difference between Alice and Ellie and how they use their feminine strength against the world. Alice tends to use physical strength because she is bigger than everyone, you know, but Ellie isn't her sister. Those are not the tools at her disposal. She can't just throw a punch to prove that she's a strong girl and you can't mess with her. So what does she use? Confidence arrogance she kind of bullies her way into situations if she steps Mm -hmm. in and takes charge right away she's setting the stage she's setting the bar that i'm a tough female and you can't use me you can't abuse me and it's like so that's how ellie has to assert her feminine strength i just thought that was really interesting looking at these different characters and how they have to assert themselves in this world and how these two sisters could do it so differently you know right which i understand but at the same time like that's not something that you as a you can't just walk into someone's home and and be like well this is how it is now like you don't live there i I agree i understand that bothers you a lot honey (laughs) it really freaking does because i don't understand why she feels so entitled i guess 
is, is my issue. She feels entitled to what they have because she lives there now. And that that's that's literally the first like real introduction we get to her of being in the mall. And that's why it sticks with me so much. But it also, again, it shows that difference between her sister. Like Alice is also doing the exact same thing, but Alice is smarter about it. Yeah. You know, like she just shows up and says, I'm going to take care of Tysan. She doesn't ask Tysan. She just makes the assumption, I'm going to guard her. What if Tysan didn't want her? You know what I mean? <laughs> and I'm like, Ellie, is, they have the same personality when it comes to asserting their dominance. It's just Alice was a little smarter because she was actually necessary, where Ellie mm -hmm. is not so far. <laughs> I, I kind of wonder what it was like on a farm with those two. I mean, we, we've seen Alice getting down and dirty, working the farm, and then Allie just skipping off to the city. She was used to being entitled there. Oh, that's another thing to consider. Okay, you know how when the, when the world changes, remember, once upon a time, Jack was the smartest kid in the classroom. You know, that's mm -hmm. where he could dominate. You know, and, and Lex, he was the kind of kid who'd have to dominate on the playground because he, that's how he got by. Mm -hmm. And then the world ends, and it's people like Lex who are dominating everything. And noticed how Jack felt so ineffectual in a world where his gifts weren't appreciated. Like, this wasn't a playground he could win at. This wasn't a competition for his skills. And I was thinking, Ellie has gone through the same thing. Ellie's very smart. She's intelligent. She's, she's book smart. And Alice isn't. That's not her thing. So Alice dominates at the farm. This is her world. She's so comfortable in it. Ellie is screaming for culture. She's going nuts in this environment where she cannot excel. Mm -hmm. She can't exp expand her mind. She hates being on that farm. You know what I mean? And so she's finally in a new environment where the who are the first people she seeks out? The so-called computer nerds. It may sound like she's making fun of them, but later we'll see. <laughs> she sought them out on purpose. People yeah. from her sphere, smart folk <laughs> she can like talk to and and think about things with. And I mean, if she thought so li little of them, she would never have continued spending time with them. She sought them out on purpose. Her introduction to them wasn't the best, mm -hmm. but it worked on the boys. It got their attention. <laughs> I'm not, again, I'm not defending Ellie. I'm not saying like you guys are wrong and, and that sh her behavior was fine. It wasn't. It was very entitled and... Slap. Doesn't know how you behave, sweetheart. Right. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> no. Like, as a, from a mother's perspective, you know, like, that's me uh, being like, like girl, no, no, you know, your parents raised you better than that. Remember your home training. Yeah. Not teach you to be acting like that. What if he was playing it? You, did, you didn't even see if he had autosave on that thing before you closed the laptop. That's just rude. Inconsiderate. <laughs> That um, it says something that, you know, that's how she introduces herself to the yeah. boys, to her peers, you know? Yeah. Because she sees Dal, mm -hmm. Dal and Jack as her peers. Like, oh, my people. Okay, let's move on to the antidote distribution because Matt brought up quite an interesting moment that I completely ignored. Um, so we have um, the Morats demanding that the city kids that they give up their weapons before they can get any of the antidote. Yeah, yeah. What did you make of that? Like, did you think the Morats have a, had a right to do that? And like, what did you think was going to happen? Um, yeah, that was definitely tricky. You know, we're from the good old U.S. over here. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I, I feel like you know, having conf like to confiscate the weapons while they're receiving the antidote. I can understand, like, leave it at the door. You can pick it up on your way back out. But is that what they're doing? Or are they just disarming no, the this city? Was like, disarm. Like, they're just 
Yeah, they're just. They start yeah, I think that's crazy. Like, because these kids still have to go back out into this. Yeah. Oh, well, war, war torn environment. You know, where where they're fighting for their lives, and they don't have any means to protect themselves now. Yep. I think at it from the Morats' point of view, these are weapons these kids wanted to use against them when they couldn't deliver the antidote. So. By confiscating them, they're protecting themselves. But they're leaving the city that they're trying to protect by giving the antidote. You know, not be able... It, it, it's, a, it's a vicious cycle. This is the start of the mall rats biting off more than they can yes. chew. Or take responsibility for. <laughs> exactly. I understand their motives. I mm -hmm. agree with their motives. I completely understand the logic. If we disarm every person who comes in here and gets the antidote, then there won't be any weapons on the street. Yeah. You know, that's what they're thinking. Like, yeah. there won't be anyone you have to protect yourself from because everybody has to come through here and we're taking all of their weapons away. Okay. I understand that's their logic in the same way. We'll just give this stuff away and not think about the consequences mm -hmm. or whatever. <laughs> but again, it's the mall rats thinking. We know what's best for everybody. We're going to make those decisions for everybody and then everything will work out just great. And already we have someone saying, I need my weapons yeah. because the life I live, these keep me safe. And what does Danny literally say? Do what we want or you can die. Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Yes. <sighs> and again, it's like, that's what this entire season is about. Regardless of your good intentions, when you wield power, there are consequences. You know what I mean? And our mall rats, they have good intentions, but already we see leaks in the system that they can't control or handle. And you, are you ready to take on the entire city and make it a safe place for these kids to run around? Is it really just your safety that you're paying attention to? Then stop pretending that you're concerned about everybody. Because if you're going Sabine's route and you're disarming these kids so they can't hurt you, you can't pretend it's about the other kids. All right? Because at that point, it's really just about you. And that's fine, but freaking be upfront with it. Right. <laughs> right. Admit that's what you're doing. Yeah. You know? Um, so, yeah, this is just all right. This is the descent. I see it coming. And I'm just like, you guys do not have the right to be just making these decisions for everyone. No. Yeah, again, you're giving them life-saving antidote. That's awesome. But you're also, you're, you're putting a um, stipulation on it. It may not seem like one to you, but when you're basically telling them, hey, you either get this life-saving treatment and live, but you have to do what we say in mm -hmm. order to get it. It's no different than telling kids, you got to bow down to Zoot or I'm throwing you off a roof because it's what I believe. <laughs> it's what I believe would be best for everyone. At this point, yeah. At this point, they might as well just openly take the donations if that's the way that they're going to, you know. Exactly. Stop being a bunch of hypocrites who act like that's not what you're into. Oh, you are. You are leveraging this antidote to get what you want. Ray didn't want your chocolate bar, but Danny wanted your but weapon. he wants your obedience. Yeah. That's what he wants. Yeah. <laughs> I always wondered, was it really what Bray wanted or was it just what Danny wanted? That's a good question, too. That's the thing is we don't know, you know what I mean? And we don't know, like, whose ideas are what at this point because they're the same person. Good question, actually, yeah. Um, considering what we know about Bray, we know he wants world peace and crap, but we also mm -hmm. knew that Bray wasn't big on doing anything about wanting world no. peace. And that's why he was very easy. Like, he grasped Amber's dream. Amber had a dream, mm -hmm. and she was ambitious enough to take on that dream. And Bray was he like, wow, I like this. Yes, I like a woman with a plan. Yes. Um, and here he is doing the same thing with Danny. And uh, again, it could just be his grief and he needs something to hold on to. Like he said to Sabine, I'm just trying to, I mean, to Celine, I'm just trying to distract <laughs> myself. 
<laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he is. He's just trying to bury the pain by giving himself something to do. And um, he's incredibly emotionally vulnerable. So while Danny's whispering in Bray's ear, we see Ebony doing the same thing to Lex, you know, and he's just lucky the person who's whispering in his ear does have good intentions because um, he is so vulnerable to whatever it is Danny wants right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he's just like, yeah, sure. That, that sounds fine. Whatever. You know, <laughs> yeah, basically but we'll, start, we'll start to see. I think there is evidence that this is more what Danny wants compared to Bray. Mm -hmm. Bray just wanted to get the antidote to save everyone. Cause that was yep. Amber's yep. plan. That's as far as I think Bray ever thought it through. But then Danny's like, we need to take more control of the city. Yep. And Bray's yep. like, do we? Do we have to do it today? Are you sure? <laughs> Are you sure? Aren't you glad people just aren't attacking us anymore? Exactly. Like, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think this is definitely more Danny's plan than Bray's. If you look at it from her point of view and what we learn about her later on, I mean, she feels guilty that the city is in the state it is. It is your fault, Danny. It is your fault, you <laughs> lady. And she thinks the way to fix it is to just take away everyone's toys and they won't be able to hurt each other anymore and she'll have fixed that. Consequences be damned. Now, I understand Danny's motives. I'm not dogging on her, but just to answer that question, I, I definitely think this is, definitely, this is more her direction than Bray's. Yeah. And, um... And it's a dangerous, I get, I understand. I don't think the Malrats mean any harm in the same way that Tysan decided upon herself to get rid of the freaking formula because she thought it would be best for everyone. She thought she could handle the power better and did not think about the consequences. We have our Malrats taking the same path of making a unilateral decision for everyone and they are not prepared for what's going to come with that. And like a dictatorship is still a dictatorship, even if he gives out candy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's probably scarier. <laughs> like, um, knowing where the story is going to go, like, obviously knowing how much the tribe likes to kind of go against the grain and with their storylines, like, are, are you disappointed at all that they went for the power corrupt storyline? No. No. I think it was it's logical. Still, like, they've always touched on it, you know? Like, it's always been a theme in the show of how power you know, how people deal with it and what they want to do with it. I mean, it was a whole theme of season one. That was the biggest conflict. Who has the power in the mall and what they want to do with that power, you know, and um, how, how, the best utilization of the power you have. Amber constantly being on Bray's case. You have the power to do things. Get off your butt and do it. You know, um, Lex, you have the power to do this if you could just be productive and you'd be really great for the group and on and on. So I, I think it's always just been an underlying theme. The difference is it's not just the mall that that power affects anymore. It's the entire city. You know, Bray, he was able to bring food to the mall, which meant Bray had the power to decide how food was used in the mall. Yeah. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? It's just small things, how power is utilized, how people wield it. And it tells you who they are what they're interested in when it comes to their power. You know, Bray, for example, again, I'm just, this is small picture thinking. He has the power to get food, but does he ever abuse it? Do we ever see him use that to enrich himself? Does he ever hoard food? No, that tells you that despite having this power, Bray never abuses it. This is who he truly is. This is mm -hmm. all he ever would want to do is make sure everyone's fed in the mall. That's all he does with his power. And the most he ever flexes his muscles is he gets to say, 
the Bob get Bob gets water. I'm the provisions guy. Bob gets water. That's the most we ever see Bray flex his muscles yeah. with his power. <laughs> you know? yeah. Who was talking? Then cease or feel my wrath. Silence, my brethren, is our close friend, our protector. So the episode ends with a little tease where we see the Guardian flex his control over his chosen. Yeah, when they speak out of turn, like, what did you make of the Guardian flexing his muscles here? (laughs) (laughs) Who's talking? Nobody! It was the voices in your head, Jaffa. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, he just, it reminded me of children at play. You know what I mean? And it's like, I get to play boss. You know what I mean? And and you're just, mm-hmm. yes. you get to tell all your friends what to do because you're playing boss. And that's what it reminds me of. Nobody has said anything. No one has done anything. And he's just using this as an excuse to, you know, just keep piping whatever he needs them to hear in their ears. It just makes me laugh. I'm like, this guy <laughs> loves speeches. He lives for it. Yeah, he loves to hear his own voice for sure. He does. He does. <laughs> I'm like, they were humming, Jaffa. No one had the chance to talk. <laughs> what, did you, what did you make of the kind of beekeeper outfit? Like, hood? <sighs> I'm like, well, at least they won't get bugs in their mouth. No it works. It, it's a stylized look for this world. You know, it, yeah. it's close enough to a normal look we'd recognize with robes. I mean, if we saw a bunch mm-hmm. of people in robes, you'd think somewhere along the lines of a religion. Yes. You know, <laughs> monks or priests. A religion or a cult. Right, you know, so this is a, just a good spin on it. It's only racketed up a little bit, you know, and it's immediately recognizable. <laughs> and he already gave off, gave away that he's religious because he mentioned the moment they set foot out of those boats. We're on the land of the heathen now. <laughs> We've already seen their ceremonies. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Your brain is like, okay, I, I've already got a picture of what these people are. And I like it. (laughs) (laughs) I can't help it. It's just something about them and the way Jaffa commands them all. I do love the way the Chosen are utilized throughout season two. I think Mm -hmm. they are fantastic sense of tension and building dread. And in retrospect, they're always made better. Like once you find out what their plan was, you go back through season two and watch their actions. And you're like, oh my gosh, that was so clever. This first mm-hmm. trip is a test. He is testing his people. Yes. To find out how much control he has over them. He deliberately brings a sick kid to a place where he could get medicine just to see if this kid would crack and take it. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. And once they've, they've completed this test, they, le- they leave reconnaissance everywhere so they can learn about who's in charge, how the city's being run. It's just, it may, it's made better more time as you keep going back and looking at their plan and how it evolved they're one of the most organized tribes we will see especially yeah. in the first part yeah. in the first few With seasons an actual plan <laughs> i like their plan you know <laughs> I, I like the evolution of how you know jaffa could literally just go from kind of worshiping some guy that he didn't probably have the relationship he wanted with zoot that he wanted to imagine that he had in his head to you know utilizing him to get other kids to listen to him to falling in love with the idea of a relationship he never actually had with zoot so he believes it you know just yeah great evolution for a character and that's 
it falls right in line with typical cult leaders. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Plenty of cults start with a pretty like a, like a harmless point of view. They don't want to hurt anybody. They just want to be able to do their thing. You know, um, they may be creepy, but they're not out to hurt anyone. They're not out to do any damage. And we've seen those same cults evolve into being very, very dangerous to everyone around them and to their own members. You know, you you don't mm-hmm. know you're in a cult until you're drinking the Kool-Aid. And you're like, I, I think I'm yeah. going to die. I think I'm in a cult. <laughs> How did I get here? <laughs> they did a great job with The Chosen. I, I mm-hmm. love this introduction. It's fun and very visual i'm like i want to go to this health resort i want to go rowing and <laughs> listen to Enya all day and it's a great soundtrack you guys <laughs> i always found it interesting that when we first met the chosen you see all these different levels they have with all the different colors of robes yet the only ones he takes into the city for this first round are the ones in blue yep very smart use of color that's another thing. When you have groups like this, you have to create levels. You have to ha- give your people ambition to move up, to win your trust, to do yeah. more and more for the group, to prove their loyalty to the group. To move on to another circle. I would still prefer to be a purple Skittle. I liked those ropes <laughs> the best. <laughs> yeah, you got to have your elite circle. I, I, it's, it's so funny when you look at this season and then season three and how they clearly didn't bother to study virology. Mm-hmm. They didn't care about the details of that, but they, somebody clearly studied <laughs> cults and uh, thought yeah. reform. Like they put the time in with the chosen. They didn't half-ass this because the chosen legit, there, there are books that tell you about the steps for thought reform that are mm-hmm. utilized by most cults. And there's usually about, off the top of my head, I believe it's like uh, like six steps, might be a couple more, give or take one. Um, and they made sure that the Chosen utilize every single step. Yeah. yeah. Like they didn't miss a single one. I was very impressed once I started studying it and being like, oh my gosh, they really paid attention to this. They did not half-ass this cult idea. They took full responsibility for what they were writing. I got to give them crop, props for that um, because they didn't with the virus. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, cool. So that brings Series 2, Episode 5 to a close. Thank you very much to the panel. And don't forget, if you'd like to take part in a future episode of Conversation with the New Mountain, you can send us a message over on our Facebook page or fill out the form on our website, thetribe.co.uk. So we'll see you next time for Episode 6. Until then, bye. 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 Bye.